Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. I like being the lead pastor, but I am more happily Lauren's husband. And I don't know if you saw this, she hasn't been eating too many hamburgers. This is our baby boy. She also has been eating too many hamburgers. But hey, cool, cool story real quick about us. Um, so we have two kids, you know, we've got a boy on the way, two girls that we have and a boy on the way. And uh, a couple months ago, we were doing a scan and our son, Eli, his kidneys were enlarged and, and they were a little bit concerned. And many of you started praying for him. And we just went to the doctor this last week and his kidneys are right on track, right where they need to be. So thank you for praying for us. How's it going? Good. Welcome to Sozo. How many of you know what Sozo means? A few of you. The rest of you are really brave for coming to church that you don't know what... I tell people it's like Sozo, like sometimes we have it together, sometimes we don't. (laughs) Sozo is actually the uh, Greek word for salvation or to save uh, that's used all in the original transcripts of the New Testament. And, uh, and it's really this cool word that means to save, to redeem, to restore, to make whole. And the picture of the word of salvation is, is not simply that God came to save us so that we could get to heaven, but he actually came to restore everything that was lost at the fall. It's a pretty cool word. I like it at least. And that's why we're called Sozo. So I'm really glad that you're here. Um, so yeah, one of my favorite roles in life is being Lauren's husband. Um, I also like being a pastor. Another one of my favorites that's above being a pastor but below being Lauren's husband is being a dad. I love being a dad. One of the cool things about being a dad is getting to watch your, your kids grow up. They start off like they can't do anything, and then they start like moving and rolling a little bit. And then one of my favorite stages is the bobblehead stage. Y'all know the bobblehead stage? It's like their head's so big, their body hasn't caught up yet, and it's like all over the place. And then it like, they kind of grow out of it, and then they start walking, and they grow back into it. And it's like their head like hits everything. My parents, when I was a little kid, they threatened to put a helmet on my head because I ran into so much stuff that they're like, Joel, we're not going to survive. You're not going to survive childhood. Um, and finally, I, I sort of grew into my head. Um, Yeah, I actually don't have a receding hairline. I have a big head. It's like (laughs) back there. So uh, I love what God is doing in Sozo. We're almost four years old. Isn't that awesome? October 4th, we'll be four years old. And and so we're in that like awkward stage, like the almost four-year-old stage. And uh, and so if you have jumped in recently, um, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. You're you're still among the brave. Um, and we're growing into our body. So we're not a mature adult that has everything all together, just warning you in advance. We're like putting pieces together. We've got actually huge gaps, and they're not that hard to find. Um, and, and we have big dreams also that we're going to grow into as a church family. And so if you're looking for a people that has it all together, I can, I can name a ton of churches in this area that would be awesome for you um, because that's not us, uh, but we're growing into it. Like we have dreams for a youth ministry that just sees transformation in our city and region. Um, we're, we're still working on putting pieces of community together and, and we're really um, 
just our, our desire is actually that we would be a family on mission and not necessarily a provider of spiritual goods and services, which means that it's like all of us all together, not just uh, a few people pulling everything together. And so I just, I, I welcome you onto the journey. And uh, I also recognize this, that for some people, the season of life that you're in, that you don't need to be on this journey. And that's okay. Like we would love to bless you and help you find where you need to be. Um, and so uh, we just invite you along for the journey. So let me pray for us. And then we'll jump in to uh, another sermon on our series called Normal, which I'm pumped about. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in our church family. God, I thank you that you are transforming our lives and that you're a work in our region, God. And we just invite you to continue to move. And we trust you, Lord, to put the pieces of the body together the way that you see fit. We ask for our leadership team for wisdom in that, God. And Lord, I just thank you that you are still bringing people um, into our family that are crucial for where you're taking us. And so, Lord, we ask that your spirit would empower us, that love uh, that flows from you would draw us together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen? Awesome. So we've been doing this series called Normal, and the idea is, of, is this, is that Jesus is a picture of what normal looks like in the kingdom. Like we, we tend to, to take average as normal. Like we look around and say, oh, well, that's what those folks do. That, that must be what Christianity is about, what life in the kingdom of God is about. But what we find is actually this, is that the status quo isn't necessarily what normal is. That's just average. But Jesus is actually the picture of normal. He's what we are called into and what we're called to look like. For us as a church family, our, our mission statement is this, is that we would be a family on mission representing who Jesus is to the world around us, that God would do something in us, both individually and collectively, that would represent who Jesus is to the rest of our city, the rest of our region, and, and, and even to the whole world. And so um, we, we see that Jesus is the definition of normal. And then we look, we're looking at the book of Acts, and we're saying, okay, what, what does normal look like lived out? And I believe that normal is a picture of, or the Acts is a picture of what normal looks like lived out. And so I'm going to start off where, where Steve was a couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 2, and then we'll jump into 3 and a little bit of 4. So go with me to 2, verse 42. And it says this, they devoted. Say devoted. devoted. That's the title of this message is devoted. Subtitle is the key to normal. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The word devoted is an incredible word full of meaning. In, in the Greek, it's, it's the core of that word is the word kratos. Say kratos. kratos. And there's three words for power or authority in the Greek. One is exousia, which is authority, which means this. It means that I have the authority to stop a car if I'm a police officer with a badge. It doesn't mean that my hand can stop the car that's coming at me, but instead I put my badge out and the car stops, Right? So then dunamis is a second word for it. And what dunamis is, is it's like this explosive power. In Acts 1, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll receive dunamis power. And that power will cause you to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Kratos is a different word for power. And it's the word that's at the root of that word devotion. It means to continue to do something with intense effort, even in the face of difficulty. 
to continue to do something with intense effort, even in the face of difficulty. It's the staying power that leads to personal, regional, and global transformation. Here's this incredible picture as I was thinking through what this word means. In 1955, on December 1st, this young black woman in Montgomery, Alabama, gets onto a bus and she sits in the white section. And she says, I'm not moving. And what she did in that moment, what Rosa Parks did in that moment, is she said, I'm not moving, and it turned a nation upside down. That's what this means. That's this word kratos. It's that I'm so devoted, I'm so rooted and grounded in who God is and what he's calling me to be that I'm not moving. I've got staying power and the staying power of God in my life is going to cause me to change and the world to change around me. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're invited into in Jesus. And what were they devoted to? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Simply put, the apostles' teaching was this, Jesus in the kingdom of God. Now, here's one of the things that we have to understand. When we say kingdom of God, what we mean is this, that it is the rule and reign of God, both in my life and over the world. So it actually, the, the kingdom of God starts in me. It's submitting my whole life to the rule of God, regardless of my affinities, of my affections, uh, of what my feelings are, that I'm actually going to say, I'm not interested in what I'm feeling. I'm choosing to be so rooted and grounded in who God is and his reign in my life that I'm not going to move from what he's called me to be, even if I don't feel like it. All right? And so what we see in the, the New Testament writings is actually what the, the apostles were writing to the churches so that they would understand what it looks like to live under the rule and reign, the kingdom of God. It's to fellowship, to the fellowship. It's actually this word, this like communion. This is not just like go to a small group or that we call ourselves some sort of fellowship, but it's actually uh, a, a group of people who are committed to a common cause. And then to the breaking of bread, which I think is twofold. One, it's that we would actually be in each other's houses and eating together, but it's also this picture of shared life in Jesus, of communion, of taking the Lord's Supper. I actually did it this morning, like I'm committed several times this week. Got a little bit of, of grape juice that miraculously had turned into wine. Uh, he did it again. And, and then I got uh, some, some bread, and I'm like just communing with God, recognizing that, that I'm in him and he's in me. And there's, there's this connection and then there's this horizontal shared connection that's us together. And then to prayer. I, I love prayer. Prayer changes things. Prayer is what changed my son who's yet to be born his kidneys. And, and so they lived in this place of devotion, of kratos, power. Like, I'm not moving. I'm staying rooted and grounded in this. And then we see, we'll come back to that idea, but what we see in chapter 3 is actually the power of that lived out. So go with me to Acts 3 now. And it says that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, about three in the afternoon, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried out from the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were being, uh, those who were going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, they asked, or he asked them for money. Peter, this should be up on the, the screen behind me. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then they said this, look at us. Look at us, look at me. 
That's hard. Sorry, y'all. But they said, look at us. So the man gave them their attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said this, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became feet. Feet. (laughs) He only had two. His feet. He jumped to his feet and began to his feet and began walking. (laughs) Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So here's this lame man, and he's saying, Hey, I just need a little bit of money so that I can make it by. Peter and John said, hey, we don't have money to give you, but we'll give you what we have. We'll give you what we have. You see, it's impossible for you and I to give what we don't have. You can't give somebody what you don't have. It's absolutely impossible. Yet what they said is that we'll give you what we have. And so what we have is this. We have the name of Jesus. And so in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. They gave away what they have. What do you have to give away? What is it that you have to give away? Peter and John had so been with Jesus that what they had was actually the name. That word name means like the very image or being or presence of Jesus. When you use the name of Jesus, what you're using is like this, this like card that says, hey, I've got Jesus's credit card and anything he can do, I can do. That's what they were doing. They're saying, hey, we're going to use the name of Jesus. And at that name, not by our own power, not by our own authority, but by the name of Jesus, this man is going to rise up and walk. You know why it's wrong to take the name of Jesus in vain? Jesus is as near as the mention of his name. And so using the name of Jesus in vain is not simply... That, that I attach his name with some sort of explicative. But actually using the name of Jesus in vain is using his name and expecting nothing to happen. That's what it means to use the name of Jesus in vain. It means to use it pointlessly. And so they said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Why? Because they were devoted people. They had actually been with Jesus. We'll go on with me now. We'll skip a little bit. We'll go down to verse 16 in chapter 3. And it says this, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. And it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that, was, that has completely healed him, as you can all see. You see, they recognized that it was in the name of Jesus and by the faith that comes through Jesus. Did you know that when you put your faith in Jesus, you actually operate with the faith of Jesus? And so it's actually not about how much faith I have, but it's actually where I put my faith. When I have faith in the name of Jesus, then I operate with the faith of Jesus. It's actually the faith of Jesus that saves me. It's the faith of Jesus that imparts any bit of faith to me. And what I do with the faith of Jesus is I put my faith back in Jesus and it's there that I see him move. 
Let me say this to you. Why I love this passage is not because that man got up and walked. I love seeing healing. But healing is the undeniable evidence of the power and presence of God made manifest. If that man was sitting there needing love, they would have given love. If that man was sitting there needing hope, they would have given hope. You understand? Like the point isn't the undeniable proof of the miraculous power of God. The point is God meeting us in our place of need, sovereignly and miraculously for his glory and for our good. It's, you know... It's, I love the idea of signs and wonders because it's like, man, there's these signs that make you wonder. It's like, what in the world's going on? But God is not putting on a show. He's meeting real people in the place of real need. Does that make sense? You see, Jesus was not trying to convince the world and all of the miracles he did. He was not trying to convince the world that he was who he was. He was loving the person in front of him. And that's what it looked like to love the person in front of him. And so when you and I carry the name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the name above every name, the name that every knee has to bow, including sickness, including hopelessness, including depression, when we carry that name with us, then everything else bows and it actually becomes an expression of the love of God. God is not infatuated with miracles. He's infatuated with people. And so what happened is this, is that the lives around them were transformed because they were rooted, devoted, established in the person of Jesus. And so what happened is this, Peter and John were the examples for the church in Jerusalem of what a devoted life looked like. Acts 2.42 was what happened underneath their leadership, okay? So they were so rooted and grounded in Jesus that then this lame man who had been there begging for many years rises up and walks. And so you've got their personal transformation because they were rooted in Jesus that leads to this individual's transformation. And as the story goes on, as you read, now everybody's getting riled up because they're all worried about their power bases going away and all their influence and all that stuff. But what happens is this. Peter preaches the gospel and it says, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. What you had was men and women who were devoted, rooted, established, not moving, staying power in Jesus. Now you've got this guy that's healed and the result of what God did in his life turns the whole city upside down and now you're adding thousands to their body, thousands to their family. Why? Because when I stay rooted in God, my life bears so much fruit that it spills over onto other people's lives. And so the whole idea of Kratos' power is the staying power that leads to personal, regional, and global transformation. And so now you've got a whole city turned upside down. And so now they pull Peter and John, they arrest him, they pull him uh, up before everybody. And it says this, Peter begins to preach the gospel to the people that arrested him. And, and, And in verse 13, And this is, I think, the key. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. 
Anybody here feel unschooled, like in the, in the ways of God? Like, hey, I haven't been to seminary. I don't really know. I haven't been to Bible school. Like, I'm just an ordinary person. Is it anybody? All right, that's most of us, okay? They realized that these were some regular folks. They, they, they hadn't made the cut to be in the religious system, to become uh, rabbis, but instead... They were just regular old folks. They were fishermen and tax collectors. They were normal people. They were nobodies. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. I don't think that them being physically with Jesus was the key to their power, their authority. Why? Because they spent three and a half years with Jesus, and when Jesus went to be crucified, they ran the other way. They denied him. They gave up on him. It wasn't their physical being with Jesus that was the source of their power, of their authority, that astonished the, the leaders of their day, it was the fact that spiritually they had been so immersed, so connected in Jesus that there was such authority in them that would bring incredible transformation. I believe everybody is like, you know, we're getting ready for elections and there's all this stuff and everybody's afraid of the far left or the far right and everybody's all, all upset and what's, what's this going to mean for Christianity? And I think there's probably some things in there that actually really do matter. I'm not going to downplay that, but, but let me say this. The greatest threat to the church is not outside of the church. It's a people inside of the church who are not living devoted lives. It's when, it's when we're so devoted to Jesus that the, the result is, I don't really care what's going on around me, what the, the laws say. I'm so immersed in who Jesus is that I'm not moving from him and my life is going to bear fruit. John 15, 5, one of my very favorite passages, Jesus says, abide in me and I'll abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what Jesus doesn't say? He does not say bear fruit. There's not a command that says bear fruit. He says, abide in me and you will bear fruit. You see, fruit is the product of a devoted life. It's not the goal. The goal is that I would be so intimately connected with who Jesus is that I would be transformed by him. It's not works, it's presence, it's connection, it's intimacy. Uh, and I, I love the word abide. Some translations say remain, but the word abide really gets, it's a better translation because it, it means to make your home in. What Jesus is saying is that when you make your home in me, that you'll bear fruit. The invitation is that we would be one with him. That's the goal, that we'd be so devoted to him that we would become with him, become one with him. And abide does not mean a quiet time. It means all the time. 
You see, and I'm not against quiet times, actually. I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm devoted. Like, I almost get angry when my quiet time gets interrupted. Like, I get up, right? <laughs> like, I get up, I get up as early as I can, and somehow the kids still, like, wake up with me. Doesn't really matter what time I get up, they're still going to get up. I, I love spending time with Jesus. And I love being immersed in scripture and in worship and in prayer. I love those things. But what religion does is it says, have a time with God instead of a life with God. It says, make sure that, that you read and pray every morning, and now you've got your time set aside, and now, now you just kind of move and do whatever else you want to do. And so some of you, you're in seasons of life. I've learned this by watching my wife, where it's like to get 10 minutes by yourself is a miracle. I'm not talking to you, college students. But maybe, maybe some of you. But the point is not this. It's not having time by myself. It's having time with Jesus. It's that everything I do is infused with the life and power of Jesus. And so, man, it's really, really valuable. I encourage you to make it a practice to do whatever you can to wake up. However early you have to wake up to get intentional time with Jesus. It's crucial, but it does not mean that you're abiding. Abiding means that I've made my home in him and wherever I go and whatever I do, I'm taking him with me because I'm devoted in him. My life is so stuck to his that you just can't even separate me. Doesn't matter what comes my way. Doesn't matter what life throws at me, but I'm rooted and established in him and I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. It's this covenantal idea that, that we made an agreement to become one and we're not moving from this place. So the, the counterfeit is religion. It's this idea that I can just have a little bit of God time and then and, and I, I live this life that's that's divided, that's like, I've got a little bit of God stuff and then a little bit of me stuff, and that's just foolish. It's that, I, can't, I don't even know how else to say it. You see, God, God he wants all of it. We gave our, our lives to Jesus by declaring that he's Lord, and Lord means Lord. It means all. It means he gets everything. The, the threat to it is busyness that we would get so busy that we would not have time for the one that we're supposed to make our home in. And it may mean cutting stuff out. And our kids are getting old enough where I'm starting to recognize the busyness of parenting. And it may be saying, hey kids, we're just gonna slow down a little bit so that we can be with Jesus. And so the, the counterfeit is religion and, and compartmentalization. The threat is busyness. I think the, the opposite of abiding is this. You and I were so created for connection that if we can't get the real connection that we were created for, that we'll settle for counterfeit connections. That will settle for vices and devices that begin to divide us so that we don't have real connection, but we have a, 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 some sort of like fix for connection. That I have codependent relationships and, and codependent behaviors that would separate me and that they would seem to fulfill, but they would always leave me empty. 
The reason why God calls sin, sin is because it's a trap and it will always, even if it doesn't make sense here, even if it seems better and more fulfilling, it will always separate us from our connection to him. Not on his behalf, but because sin causes us to be enemies of God in our mind. And so he'll, he'll still pursue us in the middle of our mess. But what sin does is, is it's pursuing a lesser lover. Let me say this about this idea of abiding. We're making our home in Jesus. And in scripture, what we see is that there are legally some things that are true that are not yet experientially true. Okay? So my home is in Jesus. Right? Like that's legally my home. In fact, right now we're in a rental house, but we've bought a house that we're building and it's not all put together. And so legally that's my house, but experientially I don't live there yet. And so some of us are learning how to live in what we already own by the fact of our salvation, that we've said yes to Jesus and so we have life in him, but we're still making it our home. There's this incredible paradox, this tension in, uh, in Joshua where where God tells, this is, tells Joshua, this is the land that is yours, and yet every step you take will be yours. Right? So, so it's already his, and yet he's still occupying it. And so we're one with God legally, and yet experientially, we're still merging our lives together. On March 4th, 2006, Lauren and I said, I do. Legally, even spiritually, we became one on that day. Experientially, we're still in process, right? Like we're still learning, but I've come a long way. I like antiques and interior design. I have an appreciation for dance, right? So, so it's like all of these, so it's like all of these things where we're still, our lives are still merging together and we're still becoming one in our thinking. And and yet it doesn't mean that because we're not fully one in our, in our way of thinking that we're not actually legally, spiritually one. Does that make sense? And so we're all in this process of becoming one. And so that's why we live this devoted life, because we're saying what I agreed to, I want to experience. And so we're devoted to the apostles' teaching. For you and I, we have the great benefit of the printing press, of even being able to get scripture on our phone, and we also have the great benefit of literacy. Most of human life, human history, has actually, humans have been illiterate, right? And so now we have the opportunity actually to read scripture and to allow scripture actually to begin to read us. And so we become devoted to the practice, the discipline of the apostles' teaching by being rooted and grounded in Scripture. I love, though, what Jesus says uh, to the religious folks in his day in John chapter 5. He said, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. It's possible to know this book inside and out and yet not have Jesus. And so what I want to do is read this in such a way that it actually becomes my life and then I actually begin to live it out. And so I'm so immersed in scripture that 
when I'm living life, that's what's flowing out of me. Does that make sense? That's what it means to be devoted. Devoted means that I get it in me and then I live it out. It's not just that I get it in me and I stay stuck. I love what uh, Smith Wigglesworth says. He says, some people like to read their Bibles in Hebrew. Some like to read it in Greek. I like to read it in the Holy Spirit. So the goal of reading scripture is not that I would know more academically. The goal of reading scripture is that I would be transformed. That, that there would actually be this heart connection with God, that there would be this transformation that begins to work through my life because I'm so rooted in scripture that my life is immersed in it and, and now I'm living it out. I think the scariest thing in the world is to find somebody that knows this book inside and out and yet has not experienced it. That's not living it out. And that's why Romans 12, 2 says that we're transformed, which is that same word of transfigured, that Jesus was transfigured by the renewing of our minds. You see, our minds get renewed as we're in scripture, as we're with the, the fellowship, as we're breaking bread, as we're in prayer, our minds get renewed and that's what transforms us. And so as crucial is, as it is for you to have daily time with Jesus, it's crucial that you also have communal time with Jesus. I think somewhere along the way, we have so preached a gospel of personal relationship with God that we've actually lost a gospel of communal relationship with God. You see, I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind, not simply because I read scripture, but because I have people around me that are encouraging me in my walk, that they're reminding me of, of who I was created to be, of what my blind spots are, and they're leading me into being transformed, transfigured to be more like Jesus because I have them in my life. Does that make sense? And so you need people in your life. And let me say this, you don't simply need to go to some Bible study, although I don't mind that. I think that's awesome. I love my Tuesday mornings uh, at Las Vegas. It's supposed to be 6.30, but they don't open up till like 6.45 or something, 7 o'clock. They're late all the time. And, and, but I love those, those, those times with the guys because there's something in that camaraderie that spurs me on to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And I love it in taking communion. Whether it's up here, you know, dipping in the, in the juice or if it's at home or whatever, however you, you take communion, there's something about that that reminds me that I'm actually one with him. Yes. That he's in me and I'm in him. Yes. And then there's something about prayer. And I love the word that Luke uses for prayer in Acts 2.42 because it's this word, persukomai. And here's what it means. It means to exchange your thoughts for God's thoughts. That's how we're transformed. It's that I'm so immersed in prayer. I love that Paul says, pray without ceasing. It's like my, my life is so connected in him. I'm so abiding in him that as I pray, it transforms the way that I live. I think sometimes we've so spiritualized prayer that we forget to connect with God in prayer. And, and, and then I, I think we, we have viewed prayer so often as a monologue when it's always supposed to be a dialogue. And let me say this, when you're having a conversation with somebody who is wiser, brighter than you, do less talking than them. <laughs> Ask questions and wait for responses. My prayer life is not simply me giving God my list. I actually want his. And it's, it's 
being a person of prayer, of having that discipline of prayer that draws me into God. And so there, there, these are four, there's a lot more basic disciplines that begin to practice and experience this abiding devotion with God and it transforms our life. Let me give you one, one key that uses these four rightly. I don't do anything to be with God. I do it because I am with God. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not trying to pray so that I can get to God. He's already in me and I'm already in him. I just want to experience the fullness of that union. And so I think a lot of times, like I, I even have, have taught years in the past, that like you got to have this quiet time or if you don't have this quiet time with God, then, then your day's just going to fall, fall to pieces. We're, we're together. We're united. We're in this covenant thing. And whether or not I spend a little bit of time with God, intentionally it doesn't change my position in him. I'm in him and he's in me. That's not something that comes and goes. That's something that I'm rooted in and I live from, not for. And we recognize that it kills striving. And I think striving, if we don't kill striving, striving will kill the church. We got to do, do, do. No, it's actually because I have that I do everything. Everything apart from my relationship with God should be fruit of my relationship with God. And so... I, I read, I, I pray, I spend time with people so that I can experience the life of Jesus in me. I believe that for Sozo Church, probably more than just us, that there is a great call, but my authority influences with you guys, that there's a great call that we would live out of devotion that we would live such devoted lives that, the, that we're transformed and so is the world around us. Yes. Let me say this, devotion costs something. A quiet time can cost you 10, 15, 30 minutes a day. Devotion costs you everything. It means I'm all in. I love what the, the martyr Jim Elliott said. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. There is an invitation from Jesus for us not to do average Christianity, but to live in this place called normal. And the way that we do it is that we say, I'm all in. Pushing all my chips to the middle of the table, everything I have, my wallet, my car keys, all of that in the middle of the table, I'm all in with him. And he gets everything. Not just part, but everything. And I believe that that's the life that we're called to. And I think that anything less than that will make you miserable. Would you stand with me? So what we're going to do, we're going to make a, a declaration and then we're going to do like a, we'll call it a prophetic act. It's like a, we're saying something with what we're about to do. Would you say this with me? Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I'm, all in. I'm all in. Nothing less will do. I choose to be devoted with my whole life. Thank you for giving yours to me. I love you. And I'm all in.
In Jesus' name. Here's what I want you to do. It's just a, a sign, really, this is for you, this isn't for me. It, it, you may have to step back a little bit in your chair, like, so that your chair is all the way folded. But what I want to ask you to do is that you just take a step forward and you just say, God, I'm all in. Jesus, we love you. We're so dedicated to you. We thank you for your dedication to us. We thank you, Lord, for the faith for us to actually live a devoted life. It comes from you. It's your power in us. Thank you for the grace, Lord, that covers our mistakes. Thank you, Lord, that there's so much grace that when we blow it, we're still right in the middle of you. We love you, Jesus. This, this morning, there's probably into afternoon by now, uh, there's probably a few of you that... that you just need to give your lives to Jesus. Like you've just never said, Jesus, you're my Lord. I trust that you've covered my sin and that you rose from the, from the dead after your crucifixion. And I, and I make you my Lord, my master and my savior, and I'm all in with you. And so I'll just invite our ministry team forward. And if you would like uh, to make that decision, that declaration, they would love to pray with you. Um, and then they're also just available just, just to pray. They would love to pray for you. Whatever you're going through, wherever you're stuck, they would like to pray with you. Dana, who is uh, our prayer ministry leader, and it's her birthday. Happy birthday, Dana. She gave me this word, and I think it's for several of you. She was praying this morning. She said, God showed me that there are those who feel that they that healing will not happen for them, so they won't even ask because they feel, in a sense, they deserve the illness because of their choices. That it's your fault. And God wants to heal you. That's what grace is. Whatever you're going through, whatever you've experienced, sometimes we make agreements and say, well, this is just mine to, to carry because of the decisions I've made. But what grace does is it says, no, I paid for that. Let me have it. God wants it. Another, uh, Kenny was telling me this morning, he just feels like somebody here has been diagnosed with serious illness, like recently diagnosed with serious illness and that God wants to bring healing to your body. And so if you have that or other needs, these folks would love to, to pray with you. It doesn't have to just be physical. Uh, maybe you're just going for, through a hard time. And I, I really feel like there's grace this morning to see depression and hopelessness break. And so I believe that God wants to work in our lives. When we come to him in faith, he loves to meet us. And so, Lord, we just invite you to do all that you want to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.